Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. And we are live. It is Wednesday, 2.30 p.m. Standard Time. How is everyone doing here today? RJ, Megan, myself, Brian, I'm doing okay. How are you guys doing today on Helping Friendly Podcast Live? RJ, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Brian. Um, Here to talk about Tweezer, which is great. It's, uh, you know, it's going to be a good day going to be a good day. Meg, how are you? I'm doing great. Do I look cool today? You look... Yes. Can we swear on this podcast? You look fucking awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Tell us about your hat. (laughs) Yeah. If you're listening to this, you might want to go and watch this on YouTube because I'm wearing a super cool frames hat that says 123019 Tweezer. 
because I'm here to <laughs> rep today. I'm here to rep. It's tweezer day. I'm pumped. It is tweezer day. I didn't know we were supposed to have hat or any memorabilia with our favorite version on it. Come Shit. on. I mean, RJ, I would expect that of you. And Brian's got books. He's got his stats. I got a tape got cover. Books. You got a lot of tape covers. Yeah. I got a tape one cover day, on the wall. <laughs> I feel like we should do a bonus episode where you just go through every one of those tapes and talk about who gave it to you, what yes. it means to you. Like that I, would I'd be, actually love to do that. That would be awesome. That would Let's do be it. so awesome. Nice. Anyway, See? Brian, what's the book? Uh, well, I've got The Fish Companion, and I've got The Farmer's Almanac right here because I needed to do some digging outside of the internet and remember what I first learned about this song, Tweezer, that we're going to be talking about its debut of here today. That is going to be today's episode. It's an awesome, awesome topic because Tweezer is a pretty big song for fish. Um, and it leads to a lot of pretty big ideas and developments and evolution for the band, which I don't know, man. I just, uh, you start thinking about tweezer and you start thinking about fish in this like big, broad scheme. It's pretty amazing. Um, and we were talking about it because 32 years ago this week on March 28th, 1990 tweezer tweezer. So cold as it was known at the time made its debut in Ohio. And, uh, we wanted to celebrate that and dive into that show, but also dive into what tweezer means for fish. Before we do that, though, we've got two important bits of news and important bits of information. One is we just recorded our bonus episode, our premium episode for premium subscribers. We would encourage all of you out there to subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple Podcasts for HF Pod Premium, as well as a ton of other premium content from Osiris Media. Um, Meg, what did we talk about in today's premium episode and why should people subscribe to listen? We talked about our favorite versions of Tweezer, our personal favorite versions and why they're our personal favorites. And what was cool about it was we all had really different ideas about our favorite versions. And I felt like there was still so much left to discuss, which is why we're here now. But it's a great way, I think, these premium episodes to kind of go deeper and to get kind of more personal. It's been so fun to record them. So if you haven't listened to one, you should really at least give it a try. You can subscribe for a week for free and see how you like it. And then hopefully just keep going because it's been awesome, our conversations. I would also just add that you can get a lot of other things like you can get Sugar Maple a day early and a bunch of ad-free shows as well. Absolutely. There's some great, great features from it. And um, we will not be sharing on this live feed our favorite versions. You'll have to either text us or DM us or subscribe to Osiris Media to hear that. So you leave this episode wondering, I wonder what their favorite version is. In this episode, though, we will be talking about great older versions of Tweezer. Versions like the 618-1994 Tweezer. An <laughs> yes. excellent, excellent version. Thank you, Andy, for posting that. What an incredible show 618-1994 is. Before we get into it all, though, RJ, we've got a bit of an announcement to make here today. A pretty big announcement, don't we? <laughs> yes. Huge. Do you want to announce? Do you want me to announce? No, I think you should do it. I'm a little nervous to announce because like once it's out in the world, it's like it's out in the world. Um, Then we have to do it. 
It's like when you tell your friends like you're going to have a kid and like now they're like, oh, like you're never going to go out with me anymore because you have kids. <laughs> like it changes everything, you know, and it's, it's not like that, but it's like that. This is one of my, this is like a child to me. We are announcing Undermine season three, which will be debuting on Wednesday, April 27th, the week after or the week of the week after the MSG run which is significant because we will be focusing our third season of undermine on the Baker's dozen. Oh my Five God. I'm so excited. That's amazing. Look at that live reaction from Megan. That's so funny. I didn't know that. Remen's That's great. so awesome. Exactly what, we, exactly what we were hoping for. Fantastic. It's I'm really excited for it. We've been working on it for the last couple of months. We've got uh, Benji Eisen back head writer, executive producer of the show, myself, RJ, Matt, Tom, a uh, whole great group of people overseeing the show. Um, I just got our first set of graphics that came in here uh, today, which I'm really, really stoked about. They look awesome for the season. Um, we did a bunch of interviews throughout the winter talking with people who had who played a role in putting on the Baker's Dozen, um, people who were at all 13 nights which was awesome to talk about that experience of what it was like to do the marathon of seeing 13 fish shows that changed on a night to night basis. I had so much going on. It was one of my favorite things I've ever done working here at Osiris, diving into this incredible experience that the band put on, as well as what it meant to be uh, at the Baker's Dozen from a fan perspective and what it means for fish. You know, five years ago when the Baker's doesn't happen, it's a very different world. And it feels in some cases like it was 50 years ago. So it's been yeah. really cool to look back at this kind of like recent history. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's such a monumental event for the band and for the community. We just felt like we had to dive in a little more deeply. So we have some really cool stuff planned. And like Brian said, a ton of interviews and um, looking forward to, to getting back into it. We're uh, We're coming back. We're coming back April 27th, market calendars. Market calendars, April 27th will be episode one, the Baker's Dozen, and it will be going on through the month of May. So, Oh my God. I just have to say that Undermine is like one of those podcasts that like the minute it dropped, I would be like, boom, listen, like waiting for it to drop, (laughs) like just waiting for it. So I'm pumped. Thank you. It is. Thank uh, you, Megan. I, I feel the same way. Even, even after, you know, however much time I'm holed up putting together an episode. I, then it comes out and I'm like, oh man, it's like right here in the graphics that like, it just, it, it sounds and feels so much different once I get it live. I love it. So really excited about that. We will be uh, announcing more in the next couple of weeks, but uh, keep your eyes out. April 27th, Undermine season three. Today's episode though, the Helping Friendly Podcast is sponsored by, as always, Sunset Lake CBD. Sunset Lake CBD has a line of smokable hemp products for the old deadhead, the young fish fan, the new undermine head, whoever it may be, who's searching for the mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoia or the anxious side effects. You've got nine different strains from this year's harvest alone. There's something for everyone. Hawaiian haze is awesome for an outdoor show. Cherry abacus is best for the end of the night. All the flowers grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. Even better, Sunset Lake CBD's farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flour by shipping them directly from their farm to your door. 
I've talked openly and often about how much I love Sunset Lake CBD smokable products. Um, I will just share a quick story. I was indulging in some of it last week with a friend of mine when I was in Montana. He took a puff. He took another puff. He took another puff. And then we sat down and had a conversation. And about 10 minutes later, he goes, this is what I always hoped smoking cannabis would be like. This is this is what I thought smoking THC would be like. I feel great buzz, but I can still have this awesome conversation. I feel the same way. And I, I love Sunset Lake for what they've done for me, from a health and stress standpoint. It's it's incredible. So check them out today, sunsetlakecbd.com. Use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Again, that's Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. And with that, let us finally jump into the debut of Tweezer 328-1990. We got to do it. We got to do it. I want to ask you guys, just to start this, Megan, when was the first time that you became aware of the song Tweezer and what were your initial impressions, if you recall? Hmm. I don't know. I don't remember specifically hearing it. I don't remember like the first time I got a tape with Tweezer on it or the first time I saw it even live. I just feel like it's always been there. You know, I feel like it's just always been a huge part of fish for me. I don't remember it being like something I was like introduced to, or I just feel like it was always there. I started seeing fish in late 94, so it was there, but I feel like it's just always been kind of like, it's one of those songs like You Enjoy Myself or, you know, David Bowie. That's just always been there and always been like a huge song. Yeah, the always been there nature is like a very clear thing about Tweezer. What about you, RJ? What, when do you recall first becoming aware of it? I think it was um, the Amy's Farm tape that I got, which was pretty early on in my collecting, which I guess probably was late 93 maybe. Um, and yeah, I had no idea what was going on. I mean, I didn't know what was going on in general. You know, I didn't know what any of these things <laughs> were, or what they meant or anything. But um, I think that was the first. I think that was the first. What about you? So as everyone, everyone knows, I'm the noob of this, of this crew. And uh, I bought a live one on a day off from school, my sophomore year in high school at a Best Buy. I had listened to Rift for about three or four months, and I decided I'm interested enough in this band that I'm going to buy another record. And I should probably buy a live record because they're a live band. And I bought a live one, and I remember looking at the back, and it says Tweezer 3033 or whatever, you know, however long it was. And I remember being instantly terrified. Like the longest (laughs) song I'd heard before this was Pink Floyd's Shine on You Crazy Diamond. And like that song scared me to death because I was like, how do you write a song that lasts 12 minutes? I'm like, you have to like pay attention and you just get lost in it. What if you don't come out? Now I have learned since then to absolutely love that sensation. But that was my first time that I like became aware of what tweezer was. I remember putting it on and just being like, this is unlike any music I've ever heard before. Um, It blew me away. I do want to read before we jump into the, show that it it originated um, a bit out of the fish companion uh the historian for tweezer was charlie dirksen as well as uh saul wertheimer 
And they just have like a little clip here about the origin, the origins of it. Making its debut as Tweezer So Cold in March 1990, the song allegedly grew out of a soundcheck jam, which occurred before the 1231-89 New Year's show. It was toyed with a little bit before the Bowie on 225-1990 in Baltimore, Maryland, and finalized at the 3390 Wetlands soundcheck. Mike's comments in the Fish book that not only did he invent Tweezer's baseline, but also that the freezer of the song's lyrics is the state of Vermont. Upon hearing Mike's baseline, Trey came up with a guitar part instantly. So the origins of the song come from a sound check. It kind of is toyed around with throughout the early part of 1990. Trey immediately like recognizes the just infectious groove that Mike has unleashed. And in a lot of cases, Fish goes with this less is more approach for perhaps the first time in their career at this point and just says, we're just going to let the song be the groove and then figure out where it goes from there. Yeah, maybe the first time that that happened, right? Mm-hmm. It feels uh, like their, it. In their songs, it, they went on to create lots of songs and even albums with that approach. But this was pro- this was pro- this, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, this feels like a precursor to the story of the ghost. Mm-hmm. Where the idea was almost like just let the so- let the groove be the song and then we'll figure out what happens with it when we take it live, which to this point most of their songs were either a proper song um or were these grand compositions as we would hear throughout this show. So why don't we talk a bit about this show, the Fish Debuts Tweezer, 328-1990, from the Beta Theta Pi Frat House Party in Granville, Ohio, at Denison University. Um, Trey, regularly throughout this show, shouts out the hockey team from Denison University who had lost a really, really difficult game earlier that day. But they were there to cheer them up. Um, and I'll say before we jump into the show, anyone who's watching, anyone who's listening, throw in the comments here your favorite versions of Tweezer, and we'll shout them out throughout the episode. Yes. We would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Trey also played guys, hockey with them that afternoon too, right? He did. He got his skates on. Yeah. Because if you look at the set list here, this show happens about 10 days after their previous show, which was in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Uh, at RJ's house in his backyard. <laughs> it was so fun. That was so great. <laughs> and their next show would be a week later in in Boulder, Colorado, which we'll we'll talk about towards the end of this episode. But um, what are you guys' thoughts on this first set here, March twenty eighth, nineteen ninety? Well, I just want to say just quickly, Megan, feel free to to elaborate on the show. I just want to say that they this was so this was spring ninety, right? And they played mm-hmm. at the it was the it was a frat house, right? It was um, it was their first show at Denison. So I like because I grew up in Ohio. I remember I had friends who you know from from high school who went to Denison. It's like a liberal liberal arts school down in in Granville, um, and they played at this Beta hockey team party. And then two years later, in December of '92, they played their their next and only only their their second ever and and only remaining show in Granville at the Livingston gymnasium, which holds like 1500 
people. So that's pretty cool in two years. They go from like a frat party basement or frat party of some kind to, I assume it was a basement. It might not have been a basement, but they went from a frat, <laughs> a frat house to a gymnasium in two years. And that's just like, it's just interesting that um, that's the kind of trajectory. And they were probably like beyond 92, they were just too big to play at Denison University anymore. So too yeah, bad two years after that, college. two years after that, they're playing at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. You know, yeah, so exactly. it's like the growth exactly. is like insane if you think about exactly. it. Exactly. It's just interesting little tidbits. Um, Megan, tell us about the first set. I think it's played really well. I just love imagining this frat party. I, I was a hippie in college, so I didn't really hang out with frats. We didn't really like commingle except to maybe like sell them drugs or something. But like we – I never really went to frat parties. I had dreadlocks. You know, it's not really my vibe. But I feel like this frat is pretty cool. Like, they seem pretty tolerant and pretty into it. And I feel like when you listen to the playing, you can actually hear moments of the band they'll become. Like, there are some kind of, like, seconds of exploration after the tweezer lyrics. There's, like, some soloing by Trey during Runaway Gym. And I just love that they're just – they're who they are, even though they're playing at this frat party. Like, playing Uncle Pen and, like, I just – I feel like it's just such a – take the A train. I mean, the set list is really – funny and fish. It's very fishy. And I feel like I just love that they were playing their show. Like even in 1990, like this is them playing their show. They're not like trying to play like a frat house party set. I just think that that is just like, so why they have such longevity because they've always been who they are. And I think it's just so fun to listen to this first tweezer because it's, there's this like drum intro from Fishman, which is like very cool. And it's really fast and there's none of the kind of like grooviness that we have now to it. Like it's a lot less like funky and groovy. It's more kind of like sped up, which I guess they were playing really fast in the early 90s. But I think it's great. I also think the the vocal jam and yam is like, it's committed and it's kind of long. And can you just like imagine being in a frat party and seeing these like four weird dudes like doing this like extended vocal jam? I mean, I just feel like that takes such courage to do that and like just sticking with who you are I don't know I feel like I would be so self-conscious doing that in that environment I just think that they're so awesome for being so committed I think it's a really good point about how much in transition they were at this point in time like if you think about fish in early 1990 the 80s are like their own thing and there's a reason why we stopped with 1989 with undermine season one was like this is its Mm. own era when they cross in the decade there's going to be something new but at this point they're still in that middle ground um their very next show is going to be their first shows in colorado since 1988 um they by year's end are going to be, they're going to have kind of refined their touring schedule. They're going to have debuted a number of big songs that are going to kind of pr- pr- present this next great wave of fish songwriting, which we'll see over the next five to seven years become this norm that every time they come back out on tour, here's another eight to 10 songs that are going to define our sound as we go forward. And yet at the same time, they're so confident that they know they can throw this kind of stew of American musical lore, jazz, bluegrass, rock and roll, funk, whatever it may be, add a bunch of frat kids who are coming off of a tough uh, hockey loss, you know, probably a really important game for a lot of these guys. And 
ultimately like it, it's just, it's fish being fish and everyone who's there seems to be on board with it. And one thought I had just about this tweezer, I always, I often forget it because they just kind of like sing the song now, but like back in the early nineties when they would sing like the words tweezer, like Mike's voice would go up really high and Trey would just like hold out the, uh, as much as possible. It just, it's such a reminder of how at, at their heart, they took the music really seriously and they did not take themselves seriously at all. And it's so perfectly exemplified in this ridiculous song that becomes one of the most important fish songs ever. Yeah. It's, it's totally absurd. And I, can I just take, do a quick diversion just because you mentioned yes. they weren't really touring regularly at this point. This is like before they start really hitting the tour circuit. According to Fishnet, the next night they played in Dayton and there's no known set list. And there's there's one review of a guy who said he was there. And he said, I made my friend from Cincinnati drive with me to the show. And the only other people there were four kids that had driven from St. Louis. And all the other people in attendance worked at the bar or were there with a warm-up act. Fish played a full two-set two show for the six of us. Mike had his wireless bass set up and sat at the bar stool next to me for a song or two. <laughs> so this is like... <laughs> The life that they're living at this time. And then, like you said, they go to Colorado, you know, for clearly like a scheduled run to Colorado. But I mean, they're, they're not really, I mean, what would it be like to go play this frat party? And then the next day you're at a, at a gig and there's nobody there. I mean, <laughs> but they, they probably, they probably just played like they know they always would and, and, and tried to have a good time. I mean, it's just, it is crazy to think about. And then to think about them in this, in this kind of frat house. And I mean, it's, it's great. Um, and this tweezer is, yeah, it's so different, you know, and that's the main thing. It's just so different from, from what we're used to. The drum intro is one of my favorite things about it. And, uh, it just, it's so unique and, you know, there's something about when they come out on stage and Trey just rips into the riff and you know, you're there, but like to hear just, fishman hitting the toms and just he gets in the groove and then trey comes in it's i don't know it's a very different feel but it's wild because this show features um five debuts tweezer cavern runaway gym three songs that could be argued are like three of the core fish songs if you're compiling like a greatest hits of fish like those three are going to be on there for a variety of reasons and then two covers uh sweet adeline and uncle pen Uncle Penn is announced with, we're all going to go down south right now. Um, but it's wild because like Cavern and Runaway Jim are basically finished. Tweezer is kind of thrown out there as this. They Trey announces it at the end of the song as Tweezer So Cold. Um, the version is only about eight minutes long. It resembles a lot of these early 90s versions where it like builds up to a rock peak but yet still is like just open experimentation. And then it kind of slows down, um, you know, the, the picture of nectar version with like the slow down back to the intro, which is something they would mimic throughout 92, 93 and parts of 94, but tweezers kind of just thrown out there. And yet like cavern and runaway gym are fully thought out completed songs at this point in time. And obviously sweet Adeline and uncle Penn are these, you know, fully formed covers that they're adding to their repertoire. Yeah, I wonder if they thought this was just like a good night to try this song because it's low stakes. Although it sounds like the next night was low stakes too. 
If they had known, maybe they this would be from the Dayton <laughs> show that never happened. That was never recorded. Maybe they played it the next night in Dayton also. Yeah. We'll, we'll never knows? know. Um, the guy who went doesn't remember. So great job. Well, That's why you always carry a notebook with you. Come on. Always. <laughs> or bring a phone where you can take a picture, which you couldn't do in 1990. <laughs> but it's interesting you mentioned that because like, so I, I'm looking at the Farmer's Almanac and the Fish Companion right now. And none of those shows mention 329-1990 because clearly it's a recently discovered show up on mm. Fishnet. The only song that they think was played there was David Bowie. But looking at the Farmer's Almanac notes about 328-1990, um, credit Dean Budnick. This is from Lock Steel, one of the editors of um, uh, the Farmer's Almanac. Credit Dean Budnick with unearthing the actual date of this show, tapes for which circulated for years as Denison 89 and Denison 90. The significance of this date comes from the fact that the show marks the debut of a whole bunch of tunes, Tweezer, Uncle Pen, Runaway Jim, Sweet Out of Line, and Cavern. Fish uses the informal atmosphere of an intramural team hockey party to give the new songs a go, and it's clear they still need some work. They'd get it in Colorado, the tour's next stop, which we will be talking about next week is the next stop in Colorado. But at the time of publishing, they thought that this was the this was the uh, th- this show was like the last show before they then went into um, Colorado. It's also interesting because the Farmer's Almanac has. Oh no, I'm wrong. This was this was their first show in Ohio. This was uh, mm-hmm. the, Trey announces it during the show. This is the first night that they had crossed the border into Ohio. Probably, where's Granville? Is that off eighty? Yeah, I think it's off eighty. Yeah. So they probably got lost at one of those rest stops that looks the exact same after you go 30 more miles. And we're like, well, no, it's over that way. No, it's over that way. And then they ended up in Dayton and nobody could follow them there. It's yeah. Yeah. It's actually 70. Sorry. Through, oh, through Columbus. Oh, so it's South. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, through Columbus. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, they, I, I just want to know what happened between Granville and Dayton. Maybe we can, I'm going to write that down just in case we ever get another chance to ask one of the band members if they have a, maybe Mike has a journal, journal somewhere about it. Totally. Really want to know. There's also a pretty Um, good write-up in the Denison magazine. Um, There's a write-up with some people that were at the show. That's kind of a fun read. You can Google that. If you haven't read it, it's really fun. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. Ohio is, it's a good state. Uh, <laughs> I also want to shout out in this first set, uh, there's a great walk away that comes right before tweezer that is just packed with energy. And there's a really cool, you enjoy myself as Megan listed. Um, I, I also, I was looking at this, this is, we were just covered this, but this is the first fish show in Ohio. I want to ask you guys, RJ, you may be more biased in this than the rest of us, but like, can you name some of your favorite shows from Ohio? Because this is, an incredible state for the band. I mean, how, how much time do you have? Um, no, I mean, the, yeah, there's, there's of course, of course, Dayton 97, right. Which is, which is one of the best shows I've ever seen. Um, and, and one of, one of the, one of the just most fun um, nights of, of my life. Um, there's the, I actually will just go through a bunch now that you asked. Um, <laughs> you can do. take my spot too, RJ, because I'm not good at this. There's 8693, which is the 
from Cincinnati, which is the the return of Slave for the first time, I think since since the eighty since eighty seven. Um, all the Blossom shows, they're, the Cleveland, I mean, the whole Cleveland-Dayton combo in 97 was just great. Um, 731-98 has an amazing Isabella that I remember, I was there and I remember watching on the on the video screen and watching Trey solo during that Isabella. And I was like, what is what the hell is going on? It was just, it was so, that was just, summer 98 was, was crazy. Um, December 99, there's two good Cincinnati shows. Um, and I was at both of those. They're pretty good. You know, nothing like outrageous. Um, <laughs> should I keep going? Um, there, actually, there's a tweezer that I want to mention from from Blossom, but I'll talk about that later. Um, there's a really good show from Blossom and from Cincinnati in the fall 2000 tour. Mm. And, and there's just there's too many. There's just too many. You listed, I don't know if you did that off the top of your head or if you went on Fishnet while you were doing that, but you listed some great ones. The only ones I would add, 421.93, you've got the hoist oh, yeah. version of Split Up and a Melt. Yeah. Uh, 622.94, Live Fish Columbus, 10. Yeah. Uh, Fall 94 has two great, 11.12.94 from Kent has a gorgeous Harry Hood and one of the best Down With Diseases of that tour. Um, 11.17.1994 from Dayton is only notable because it was the first tape I had. Uh, 11, <laughs> I love that tape. 11.30.95. I call this the first December 95 show. It was in November, but that's a December show. Um, 7.23.99. Unbelievable jams in the second set from Columbus. Where's that from? Columbus. They, uh, they did oh, that's 99. Movie right. and, um, it's, it's summer 99, that, that end of the tour where they go Burgettstown, Columbus, Alpine Valley, Deer Creek is just incredible. Um, and then 71817, the uh yeah, feels like the Baker's Dozen mm. trial show where they just that second set is just fluid jams, and you hear, you know, just how incredible the band was playing as they were getting ready for the Baker's Dozen. It was the first indoor show of summer 17. And so it was the first time like this lighting rig that debuts in Chicago outdoors finds its way inside. And like, you really get the sense of what this lighting rig looks like when it moves and like shifts around the stadium. So I remember webcasting that show and, and, and loving it. Um, that was, those were good additions. I did do that off the top of my head. That's why I missed all of those important shows you mentioned. So Thank you for. I'm so impressed that. with that doing that on top of your head. It's way more impressive than me writing it down a useful. couple of days ago. Um, <laughs> Obviously, well, it also, is. <laughs> super useful. I will say also, eleven thirty ninety five from Dayton was HF Pod episode number one. So that's that just was. Yeah, 2013. That was um, a great one. So the yeah the the Baker's dozen. I forgot that they played Dayton before that. I remember the Pittsburgh show, but they, yeah, the Dayton show, that's something I got to go back to. I got to go back to that. Show holds up. Holds up. It's a really um, good second set. Can I just add a comment from one of our, our viewers who says Please. that they're at Fishnet's showing a show on the 27th in Columbus. So this is all, mm. now we're, now we have a whole, a whole different, really a whole different part of the mystery. So, which I didn't even I didn't see that because all I see is the the East the Ardmore one you mentioned on the seventeenth. So the the mystery thickens. That's yeah, weird, thank Troy you. Because does say it's his first show in Ohio, so that's really weird. They forgot. It's it's interesting because when I was when I was researching for this, I um, 
I had it listed as this was their second show, and then I was I was confused a couple of minutes ago. So thank you for posting that comment because yeah, I think I think you're right. This was this was number two. It's there was a a a false show in in Columbus, Ohio that may have happened, may have not mm. happened, but it's it's listed there as as it potentially happened. We're gonna get to the bottom of this. We yeah, will. We have to. Point. I want to shout out a couple of our listeners here who have posted early favorite versions of Tweezer before we jump into the second set and before we jump into the larger impact that Tweezer had on fish history. Uh, Neil Landry, 12295 Tweezer at the New Haven Coliseum was a profound experience mm. that forever changed the trajectory of my life. That's good shit, what you yeah. just said there, Neil. Um, and that version... I listened to that, I think in early December or late November as we were prepping for our December episodes that we did. Every time I listen to that, I walk away with the same, holy shit, John Fishman and Trey Anastasio, how are you guys human? Like, how is it even possible? <laughs> I have no idea. Listen to that jam. They're so fast and like just completely in line with each other. It's unreal. Um, let's see who else here. Uh, <laughs> the rabbit hole of it's fish. So true. It's very, very true. Um, that's an excellent version there, Neil. Everyone else out there, please share your favorite versions of Tweezer. I think um, William Welsh here. We talked about this at the top. The Tweezer on a live one is pretty totally. amazing. There's a reason why they put it on a record called a live one. All those, any version that's on that album is worth hearing of any song. Yeah. It's outrageous. Um, oh yeah. See, Andrew Duddy. That was a great Ohio show. That's a fantastic Ohio show. That tweezer and that gin, unbelievable stuff or uh tube and gin, excuse me. Let's talk quickly about the second set of this show. How about it? Let's do it. Do we have to? I think we do. I'm just We're going to get back to tweezers. It was fine. It was fine. <laughs> Megan, go ahead, Megan. I'm going to say it was fine. Um, you probably have more thoughts on that. There was there was some trombone, I think. I thought it was kind of rocking. I mean, like the funky bitch and Mike song, like they get going. They're you know they're they're rocking. They're kind of bluesy. This whole hydrogens played pretty well. The weak pog is kind of like galloping along. You know, there's definitely like slow it down for Jesus just left Chicago. Hilarious. Um, I think they have a really patient audience listening to lizards split open a mount and contact. Like that's, you know, that's like deep fish stuff. That's yeah. not like for like the faint of heart, you know, it's, that's not stuff I'm going to like play for people who've never heard fish before. I'm not going to be like, Hey, listen to this. They'd be like, Whoa. Okay. It's just, and I think the audience is pretty, pretty patient. Trey like rips during the Grange and um, the rift is so slow you know it's the slow rift I st every time i hear it it just still weirds me out it's just such a different song it's amazing that they actually thought later to speed it up because it's a thousand times better the lyrics during cavern they seem like a little a little rusty i mean obviously they're new so they're not rusty but they're not quite a they're not quite there a little unsure at the end but it's a good set i mean i, I just i give them credit 
Yeah, it's interesting because I almost, I often wonder during this period, and we, we're, we're going to be talking about a lot of early fish shows here in the coming weeks. Um, I often wonder what they thought about second sets at this point, you know, mm-hmm. and like what the purpose was in some cases at this point in fish history for the two set model. Was it just like to break things up and structure things? Because we now are so adapt to the idea that like they come out for a first set. This may not hold up in any sort of way in 4.0 but throughout much of recent fish history they come out for a first set there's some surprises but you know for the most part they kind of they play songs uh they get everyone warmed up they get everyone feeling like you know in in the groove and then they come out for the second set it's a little bit darker outside if it's like a summertime shed show and they throw down some jams and here in 1990 the first and second set are really interchangeable in a lot of cases. They're really just like two sets. And I was listening to it, just trying to think like, what are great performances here? And for me, I'm not a fish blues guy at all. I think this has been very clear. Like my soul is probably my (laughs) least favorite fish song ever. I love this Jesus just left Chicago. I thought it was so good. I thought Paige sounded amazing. He pours everything into it. And the guy's just like, Trey sounds so sultry on the guitar in this, which is not something I would ever really say about anyone from Fish, but uh, I absolutely love this version. What about If I Only Had a Brain? Did you love that? I'm a huge fan of whenever they play it. (laughs) I do prefer the 1999 If I Only Had a Brain jam that comes out of the Birds of a Feather from uh, Virginia Beach a little bit more than this version, but this (laughs) is good still. Is that when the trombone came out, I think, right? Yes. Um, Megan, you mentioned there was a there was a kind of uh, oral history of this show that was mm-hmm. published in the Denison magazine in um, 2017, and we should post this in in the show notes. Um, it's really good. It's and there just I just want to read one quote from um, from this guy, one of the guys who helped plan it. So it was in the living room of the Beta House, um, and he, this guy said it was a great party. Um, that was his last comment, and then he said. <laughs> Waking up the next day. So they stayed, they stayed at the, at the frat house. They spent the night there. And he said, waking up the next day, there they are in their boxers eating Captain Crunch. Then they got back in their U-Haul and probably went to the next show. Flash forward a few years. And my brother tells me, Hey, I'm going to see fish at Madison square garden. Um, he said, I just remember thinking, these are just cool guys. And then they're hanging in our kitchen and I went to class and I got in their U-Haul. It's pretty cool. It's so cool. It's so cool. And I love it. It it actually wasn't a party about the hockey team, but I think that like that's become part of the lore because Trey mentions it so much, but it was just Mm -hmm. a frat party. And I guess this house, they said in the article, wasn't really like a jam band music house, but the other house next door was or something. And so they combined kind of like funds and they said they paid like a couple thousand dollars for Fish to come play. And had this band, which they usually didn't, but I think the guys from the other house were kind of Grateful Dead fans. And so maybe that's why they had a more kind of like receptive audience and that they had people who were into the dead and into kind of giving bands grace. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, Brian, where do we also, go next? Oh, sorry, I think it's also sorry. notable, um, the encore features Whipping Post. During a period where Whipping hmm. Post is fairly regularly played uh the version prior to this was um five shows prior the version after this will be eight shows prior but 
very soon after this, in late 1991, you're going to start to see this version or this song take on 110 shows in between, uh, 112 shows, 284 shows. To this date, it's been 207 shows since Fish played Whipping Post. The last time, and I apologize, but I'm just using this to push something I push every chance I have to. The last time they played Whipping Post, 725-1999, my most requested show to be officially released. So we're here in Whipping Post at a time when it's like in the larger canon of fish, the larger rotation, but it will end up at an amazing show, 725-1999. Moving on from 328-1990, a great spring 1990 fish show. What do you guys, what would you guys throw out as like a great early version of Tweezer? And I, I mean this as like a pre 1994 version of Tweezer. Megan, what do you got? I mean, I think a really important one is the May 6th, 93 from Albany. It's kind of the first Tweezer to like go off track and it has like a traditional groove in the beginning. Um, they're quoting like sweet emotion. And then it just kind of like goes off and comes back to the theme. But I think that like, that was probably a moment for them that really like influenced where they took tweezer from that point on. Yeah. I love that pick RJ. What do you got? Um, Redwood acres, Eureka four twenty one ninety two. Great, great mm-hmm. jam. Um, really cool beginning, um, where they're doing a lot of like weird vocal things. Um, it's a beautiful groove and, um, I think that's, I remember we talked to Holly Bowling about this um, when we interviewed her for Under the Scales. I think, I think she maybe did a cover version of this version. I'm pretty sure. Um, And anyway, it was an early tape I had. It's a great, it's a great early version and spring 92, they were just kicking ass. Yeah. There's a couple of jams. We'll we'll talk about this in, in a couple of weeks when we, when we talk about April 92, but there's a couple of jams from that month that like mm-hmm. really break the norms of what the band was capable of doing to that point in time, what they were allowing themselves to do. And that tweezer is very much one of those versions. I listened to that over the weekend when I, I, I took a little drive and man, the like groove and the, the riff that Trey locks into is just, it's so bizarre for the time period. And it really sounds ahead of its time. Um, I'm going with 815-1993, which is an excellent show from August 1993. As the Fish Companion describes it, it has antelopian hose. It is fiery (laughs) and furious. And that is it. Like, there's really nothing more to say about it. It's just an intense, near 20-minute version that goes off the rails and matches some of the brilliance. The night after the uh, World Music Theater show, and two nights after the Marat Gin, we're just at a point where like every time Fish tries to jam, they're just going off into incredible places and making just musical discoveries. Um, all right, so transitioning here. And before we officially jump into this, we're going to shout out a few more listeners. As we said, please share your favorite versions of Tweezer. We will talk about them. Uh, Andrew Duddy, all the 2021 Tweezers were very good. I saw the AC one and it was great. 2021 was an amazing year for Tweezer. Yeah, totally agree. Just incredible, incredible jams. And yeah, that that AC one was described to me as festival fish. It's just like big, mm. booming, feels otherworldly in a lot of ways. Um, and then the incredible burp, uh, the incredible perp, the Fleezer, 
whoop, whoop. The Fleezer was life-changing for me. Pure magic. I brought my friend Jeff. It was his first show. He ranked the show in his top five shows ever, which included seeing Hendrix, Janice, and Summer Jam. Holy shit, Jeff. Wow. Uh, oh my God. That is an amazing, those are some amazing stats. And uh, yeah, that Fleezer show, the whole show, 622.95, really just summarizes what the band was doing so well in Summer 95. I, I love that show. That's a masterpiece. It's it's beautiful. It's incredible. Um, so let's talk now. We were talking ahead of time. Important versions of Tweezer. We all picked three essential versions, and we're going to defend these versions to the death. I don't know if they're going to have any crossover here. Um, RJ, throw your first essential version of Tweezer in the ring here. Okay. And I, I will say my picks don't have overlap with what we talked about in our bonus episode, but we might have overlap with what uh, with what you guys said. So the first one I'm going to throw out there is 12697. Um, just because I was at this show and I was like the first section off the floor looking directly at the stage and it was just a it was a perfect show, an amazing, amazing night. One of the one of those shows, I mean, I've seen enough fish shows that like some of them, when I look back at the set list, like I don't really remember them. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is like a show that I'll never forget. Um, the, they were just so good. The, those, all those shows were so great, but they were so in, in sync in so many ways. And the, the segue into Isabella is just perfect. It's just a great combo. And that, that show actually in the first set, there's a bathtub gin into llama where the, is it, it's llama, right? Where the the segue is just the same thing. It's just like a perfect segue. Where like, or it's into foam. Sorry, it's just incredible. Oh, you're right. um, they just they were like so good that they could do literally anything. Um, so that that's the first one. I can't believe you saw that show. That that's so awesome. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I got to see the F- Cleveland, Cleveland, Detroit, Dayton, and and the Penn State show on the ninth in a row. Oh was, my it was, god! It was pretty. It was pretty great. You saw a good amount of like the tour that destroyed America. Yeah. That's RJ. I remember when I, uh, I got that tape. I thought like the CD was scratched when tweezer was starting. Cause it's just like, it like starts and stops mm-hmm. and goes through all. I was just like, what is going on here? And then two minutes, two and a half minutes later, they finally go into tweezer. Uh, amazing jam. Megan, what do you got? What's your first? I mean, I think I have to say the bomb factory, May 7th, 94. And I was reading about this and there's a Gordon has a quote that's pretty cool. And he's just talking about how this was like one of the first times they decided to really blow off the set list and just keep playing. And I think this version is actually one of the reasons why this song and also this band is who it is now. I think that they had done this kind of thing, like in rehearsals and in jam sessions, but they'd never done it like on stage in front of an audience. And I think that influenced them a lot. And I think that that was really, it was a monumental moment for the band. And I think that the early jams, you know, like this Tweezer Fest where they're going in and out of other songs are super interesting to listen to. And I think what is cool is that they started to drop that and kind of like move into more exploring their own sounds and kind of like songwriting on the fly and composing these incredible jams. Like, or you think about like the Bowie that came later that year, like there's, 
the experimentation that came from that. But I think this song is super important in fish history. And also just like listening to the exit from Makasupa into the digital delay loop jam is just like so, it's so cool. It's so cool. It's awesome. Also, they reference Cannonball, which if you were my age in 1994, if you were like 16, 17, this song was on the radio like every second. And I loved this song. So just like hearing that is just like so, makes me feel so 1994. <laughs> so I love the point you made about, you know, this like free form wild experimentation, but how that would evolve by year's end. Because I picked a version of Tweezer from the, towards the end of the year that I think picks up on what you're talking about and starts to push them towards like the Providence Bowie, which is one of the most important, if not the most important, like just an incredible fish jam where like so much is accomplished in such a short period in time, relatively speaking, um, that like would push the band forward for years to come. And that's the 112894, uh, the Bozeman tweezer. Um, this was another version, like similar to the Alive one, where like when I just saw it on a tape or I saw it on re-listen, like I was just kind of terrified by the time, like what can happen in 45 minutes of music? And then you listen to it and there's such an attempt to hook up. There's such an attempt to find groove. There's such an attempt to find melody. The way that they find themselves in the segment that would be clipped and taken as Montana uh, on a live one, it just like, it's such advanced musical thinking and it's all these lessons that they've been putting, you know, putting to themselves both backstage and on stage for the last year and a half is applied here in a jam that really takes the idea of the bomb factory tweezer, which is like, let's just see where we can take this and who cares? Like there's no stopping point. We're just going to go until the end of the set and starts to take that idea and almost rein it in, which when we get to my next essential version, like, they go in a completely opposite direction uh, only six or seven months later, but more on that later. RJ, what is your second essential version of tweezer? Um, I just want to add to the, to the 11, 20 and 94 um, version, just because you, I know you, you have a deep love for Montana. It's the only show they've played in Montana. First and only. They played one more. What? Yes, one more, October eighth, nineteen ninety five, uh, Missoula, oh, Montana, which just blows my mind. The Did fish they play played again in Montana. So they've not played there since then. No, Trey's played that? the Kettle House Amphitheater. No, no, it's not. <laughs> there's that. no cutting. We can't do it. We're doing We're gonna, this. Live. We need to. Give, we um, need to end it. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> everybody. <laughs> no, okay, but well, all right, Fall ninety five. That was like Fall ninety five. Yeah, they went uh, Spokane, Missoula, and then they drove down to Compton, Arizona, which 10, 11, 95 is a really bizarre and very, very oh, cool show. I was at that show, and I have no memory of it. Whoa. Whoa. Yes. That is a really crazy show to have been in. I know. it Because it sounds I mean, like there's nobody there. Yeah, it, I, I, don't, I don't remember it. I have, it's so weird. I actually didn't even know I was there until I found a ticket stub. <laughs> That's I don't know. Sense. I don't know what happened that night. Like, I don't know. I should ask a friend that I was. You should listen to it because no joke. We we can talk about this show like in full. It is one of the most bizarre fish shows you'll ever hear. It's like they just were like, "There's nobody here. We're in the middle it. of nowhere in Arizona. We're just gonna do whatever." That's crazy. Um, can, I need, I need can to listen we, to that again. Can we do a segment where we talk about shows that we don't remember being at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be fun. If we all, I'm sure we all have one. 
I can't believe it's it. Some of the a couple fun. of the shows I've seen the set list for, and I'm like, wow, can't believe that. And it wasn't. It's it's not because I was like blacked out or something. It's just like life, you know. Life. There's yeah. only so yeah. much room in our brains. Anyway. I think that's it. Although we I should do that at some point. Yeah, it wasn't blacked out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, moving on from shows we forget yeah. to essential <laughs> versions that we remember. You like how I segue that? Uh, Arjun, what is your second essential version of Tweezer? Um, I'm I really dis I don't I dislike strong word. I don't really love 2.0 um at all. Mm. I think we've talked about that. I, I like the summer summer 03 is there's a lot of good stuff, but I generally don't listen to to 2.0, but the 22803 Tweezer is is possibly the the version if you really had to like if you really had to rank them it, it would it would be hard to not have that version toward the top but but i, I think i know you have others that, that you want to put up there brian so i will just say that that's that's still a uh that's still a, an important one to me i like that one a lot too i actually have that on my list and I wrote down just very simply the best tweezer ever because um, every time I listen to it, wow. like, they don't Trey doesn't miss a note. It's 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 outstanding. I think that it is. I'm a huge 2.0 fan. I love the era. I love the darkness. I like I love the messiness of it. And I also love how you hear jams like Tweezer, where you hear this band that is 20 years in, that is not too far gone from some of their best years ever. And they're, they're still like that bubbles up and it happens. And anyone who I've ever talked to about the 22803 tweezer who was there, it's kind of like they just paused and are just like, you can listen to it, but you just won't get it. Like you had to be <laughs> in there. Like there's just like a moment of like, that was, there was some special stuff happening there. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. That that's an essential version. Meg, what do you have? I really love the uh, July 31, 13 Tahoe tweezer. I just think it's incredible. There's, it's beautiful. It's another like great 3.0 version. There's just amazing improv. And then at the end, like there's a lot of wooing, which people may feel like have different feelings about. But what's cool about it is that they're like the song and the music is like, it's almost becomes like this living organism that's like going back and forth between the band and the audience. And there's just such this like joyfulness to it and like energy. And it just, just seems really like positive and joyful. And um, I don't know. I just love the way I just really love that. I love listening to it, imagining like how fun it must have been to be in the audience for that. Yeah, that it's yeah. Go ahead. You gotta. No, I was just. I mean, I think that there's an argument to be made that that kind of like started the or way. helped help refuel like fish for the next mm. eight years. You know, totally. I think that I think that show. I mean, there's there was Dick's 2012 and some other stuff that happened that that really showed that they were back. But that it's not my favorite tweezer, but I think it's important. And I think it's you're right that it's there. It's like pretty. It's pretty special. Mm-hmm. it's also this like nobody was asking for this but it like i don't know what fish would be like without this version like the band audience connection the wooing that has become its own beast but like in the moment when you hear it and you hear trey 
after, you know, building it up a couple of times, the audience responds with a woo and he comes in with that, just like, and he just like goes right into the solo and he doesn't miss a note. Like you hear him be like, holy shit, we've been a band for 30 years and we just made music with our audience. Like Mm -hmm. they've come, they've responded to all this stuff. Like I'm kind of getting chills thinking about it again because it's such a cool thing. Like nobody could predict this. It's the thing that makes fish so magical is like so much thought and planning goes into so many different rock concerts out there. Fish didn't walk on stage that night thinking we're about to make a jam with our audience who has followed us along and trusted us for 30 years. It just happens. And you hear on stage the band as excited as they are about it. Um, yeah, I don't think that we could make a list of essential tweezers without that. It's it's an incredible jam. Um, my second pick, and I'm, I'm I'm also stewing over here trying to figure out my third pick since since RJ stole it, um, <laughs> <laughs> is um, six months after the Bozeman version, 614-1995. I, I considered whether or not I was going to put this on here, but I think I put it on ultimately – Summer 95 is my favorite fish tour. Um, I love just how expansive and wild and dark and noisy it is. The thing I love about this tweezer is that you find the band taking the lessons of Bozeman, taking the lessons of the Providence Bowie and saying, okay, we know that we can make music with this. We now need to figure out how to get as far out of our comfort zone and as far out of our ego as possible to ensure we can do anything on the stage and we can trust each other. And a version like this, where they come out on stage, literally sitting in the Mississippi river and just terrorize their audience. Um, starting a three night run that I think is one of the strongest three night runs ever. 614 at Mud Island, 615 in Atlanta has an incredible Bowie and 616 in Raleigh, which has an outstanding runaway gym. You just hear this band throwing everything up into the air and saying, whatever comes out of this, it's worth it. The experiment is worth it. And that's something that's going to guide them while they'll refine it. And while they'll figure out ways, you know, they played a soul planet last summer that was three minutes shorter than this tweezer and a whole lot more listenable. They'll figure out ways to do that. They needed to just like scare each other and make sure that they could trust each other doing anything. And it's, it's a really important part of fish history. I love it. Um, I just want to say that there, so there are 418 versions of tweezer. I think some of those are, are Crazy. double counted. So probably not 418 shows, but still we can, we can only get to a few. So I just want to, just, that's the context. I also just, we had this conversation on the bonus episode, but you know, in the past, since the end of 2019, there's been three tweezers that have been over 30 minutes mm-hmm. and that's just like. That's just, to me, that's just madness. I mean, there, I don't, I think besides Tahoe that there wasn't another 30 minute version in, in 3.0. So this tweezer is, is still like, there's still a lot more amazing tweezers to come. I think I just, just want to say that. Yeah. I was looking at that, that the Tahoe tweezer was 36 minutes and that was the longest one since 1995, I think since the Fleezer. Yeah. And now that just seems like, yeah, a 35 minute tweezer, like, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's, it's so great. It's so great for us. I know. We're so lucky. RJ, what is your third pick for essential tweezers? Oh, man. This is really hard. Um, 
3.0 slash 4.0 has my favorite versions and i have like maybe 15 that i would that i would go with i i guess i'm gonna go with the even though i think there are at least two 2021 versions that are up there among the best ever um i'm gonna go with one two sixteen which is another show i was at and in at msg um it was just a everyone knew it was everyone knew it was happening it was um amazing peak i think for those shows where you know tweezers happening it's just when it happens it's even even better and in this this show which was the um the the last night of the msg run and it was just a, a great celebration great set um i think five five or six songs second set and it just is um it's just a, an amazing version. It's wild because to that point, aside from the 12, 30, 94 version, they hadn't really taken tweezer to another level in MSG. You, you like, and, and since then you've got that version, you've got 12, 30, 16, 12, 30, 17, 12, 29, 18 and 12, 30, 19. These just like outstanding versions that have come in MSG. And it feels now like when they play it at MSG, it's this like big moment. Mm-hmm. But to that point, they hadn't really delivered this just like outstanding version in that building. And then they come out for the final night of this four-night run and they play this just like stunning, just rock peak jam. You know, Trey in that short sleeve black shirt just like shredding in front of the crowd. It's amazing. Meg, what is your final pick for essential tweezers? I mean, because I'm wrapping the hat, I've got to say 12, 30, 19. And if you want to hear me wax poetic about this, you're going to have to listen to the bonus episode. (laughs) But what I will say, because I go deep, but what I will say is that I think this night and this version of tweezer is one of the reasons why 4.0 is so great is because the band left on such a high note playing these shows. And I think they really, I think this show was just magical. The whole entire show is incredible. I mean, it's a perfect set list. It's perfectly played. And this tweezer is just, it's just one of the best ever, I think. And so I have to have it on the essentials list. And I love this version so much. It's an amazing version, and uh, I will say no more because you all need to listen to HF Pod Premium to hear us really dive into this song. I will just throw this up there. Um, I think that we're going to get some some hate for this, and that's okay. Oh no! Because I'm going with eight one twenty twenty one, which means that out of our amazing. nine versions of Tweezer, we have four from the three point oh. Uh, four from the 2.0 or later period. But here's wow. the thing, and here's my rationale. And I'll, I'll be clear, my original pick was 228.03. The fact that two of us have that really kind of backs up how mm-hmm. incredible a version that is. But RJ said something that really made me solidify this pick. And that's, as Fish evolves, Tweezer continues to evolve as well. And it's this. it's not just a song that's rooted in an era. It's a song that continues to follow Fish which is going to be a great transition into our next segment here, our final segment for the show. But I'm going to post up here all of our essential tweezers for everyone out there listening and watching. This is the fourth show of 4.0. This is the Sunday night gig in Alpharetta. They play 
a challenging, serviceable show in Arkansas. Their first show back in 18 months. A bit of a ru- a bit of rust. A uh, lot of drama. A lot of uh, controversy in some cases heading into that show. Um, then they play at Alabama. They play an amazing version of Carini. People are like, holy shit, Fish played a 25-minute-long song their second night of the tour. This is incredible. What, what is happening? Next night, they play a 26-minute version of Chalk Dust. So long, and the second 25-plus-minute 20, version that I was getting texts from people being like, eh, not as good as the Carini, which when you're getting you know nitpicky about long fish jams three nights into a tour, you kind of know you're in a good place. But then they come out for the final night, and they play Tweezer, and I got a text from a very good friend, good friend of the pod, Ben Greenfield, that said everything. I hadn't heard it yet. I was on vacation. I was going to catch up after my wife and children went to bed. And he just goes, I'm 22 minutes into this tweezer and I have no idea what's happening. And I was like, that is a good sign. And I remember hearing it. And it's like the <laughs> version where uh, we had Ryan from Trey's Guitar Rig on HF Pod live the next day to talk through this version. It's the first real like showcase for the synthesizer pedal that Trey was using. And it just like with Fish coming back last summer and doing as much as they did throughout 2021 to really showcase that like they are not finished by any means. This tweezer in a lot of cases symbolizes their past, their present, whatever their future is. It's an amazing, amazing version. I need to go back to listen to it immediately after this. Um, I also just want to say one cool thing about that version. I've noticed this past summer, the the setup song in the second set, which I, I love more. It's like, it's one of my favorite songs to hear, but that kind of like, you know, set up before getting into the the jam. They did it a little bit a couple of days later with ACDC before the blaze on it and yeah. Deer Creek. They did it a bunch. Um, evening song. They've done it a few times. I think it's cool to like to kind of set that up before getting into like the the serious part of the of the set. I think they I think they should do that more often. How do you guys feel about that? I love that. I love the warm up song before dive in. And it gets you ready, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It gets you ready. It feels like slightly low stakes, but also puts a song that wouldn't typically be in that spot in that spot, which elevates it in some really interesting way. Um, I would take that every show if it meant that Trey realized he did not have to conclude everything's right every time he jammed that song. So <laughs> I, I would trade those two things off. <laughs> give me the setup. Don't give me the cool down, you know? <laughs> I like it. I like it. There was a there was a long period where you'd get like extremely happy finishing a song after a yeah. long jam. Like, uh, <laughs> they're gonna forget it. They're not gonna know what gonna, it is. They're not gonna remember. <laughs> um, should we? I wish we could do like one of those. You know, the end of the commercials where they have like the sped up voice with all the disclaimers. Like yes. I kind of want to do like, that. These are all the tweezers we left tweezers. off. Totally. <laughs> I can, I have the jam charts pulled up. I'll just start reading through it. Yeah, just um, the whole thing. Two. Speed round questions for you guys. And, and the last one I hope is not speed round because uh, actually three questions because I, the last question I think is very interesting. But number one, speed round. What is your favorite era for Tweezer, Megan? I actually think it's 3.0, which just seems sacrilegious to say. I don't really know why that seems so controversial or like wrong, but I do feel like this is a song that benefits from the band's years of playing together and allows their improv to go places that it just 
wasn't, they didn't have the experience to go in the very beginning. So I'm going to say 3.0. RJ? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I I agree. I think between 2015 and now is the, had the, the highest concentration of, of great tweezers from my, from my perspective. But I, I hope that people yell at us. You know, I'm sitting here. I'm the noob of this crew. I should take this opportunity to throw my hat in and be like, you guys are blasting 3.0. It's 1995. No, but you're right. I can't, I can't disagree. I think. Wow. Unanimous. I think, wow. I think yeah, I think wow. you're the points you both are making. And I think it's like the, the, the larger goals as I hear them of Fish's improv of figuring out a way to write songs in the moment. You hear it best in tweezers in 3.0 in a way that the exercises that they use tweezer for in the mid 1990s did not accomplish as much. And there's a lot of, this is going to be blasphemous. It's okay. It's okay. If you, if you hate me for this, but there's a lot of 98, 99 and 2000 tweezers that are long on paper and just like really short in terms of what they actually offer. So, um, you don't really get that when there's an 18 minute tweezer or 22 minute tweezer. Now it's, it's packed full mm. of ideas. Our big question of the episode here, alternate universe. What if this is the hypotheticals are some of my favorite things in the world. What would fish be without tweezer? And I'll invite all of our listeners to throw your ideas out here as well. What is fish? If this is a hard one to answer. This is hard to answer. Because I think there's an argument for saying fish would be fish no matter what. There's other songs that, you know, they can jam for 30 minutes. I mean, I feel like now, like, they can take a song that, like, control the audience and play Soul Planet and jam it out. You know, I think they can jam anything. But it was the, the doorway, I think, to a lot of these, this idea of open ended playing. So there's kind of an argument on both sides. I think the RJ, what do you think? Well, just going back to what you the way you described the the origin of the song at the beginning, it 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 is the open ended jam vehicle of this band. So they would probably find something else, like you know, other songs have come and gone, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and now more than ever, there are more songs that can play that role than ever have been before but in like the 95 era particularly i guess there was david bowie and that's kind of it you know um maybe there would have been something else i guess is the point like there would have been some other vehicle for this but um it is it is crazy to think about because it would be there would be a lot there'd be a lot missing yeah i think that like the the point you made, Meg, the doorway aspect is is really interesting. Is the thing that I think would have changed them if 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 you take that song out and everything else is the exact same. There are great jams throughout '93 off of Antelope and Stash and Weak Pog. '94, uh, in addition to Tweezers, has really great David Bowie's. Um, 1995 Mike song becomes a huge, huge jam vehicle for the band, but there's something about tweezer that the simplicity of the song 
lends itself to just free form improvisation that I do wonder if that, you know, Trey seemed really interested in like free form jazz during the mid 1990s, which is what led to a lot of his side projects and led to a lot of the jamming throughout 1995. But without that song, would it have just been like a jam segment in a show? You know, you almost think about not to make the direct comparison, but when the Grateful Dead started winding down playing Dark Star in the mid 1970s, space kind of takes over as the space, if you will, no pun intended, um, to, to, you know, fill that gap of what Dark Star used to do. And then Dark Star isn't necessarily, excuse me for saying this, but isn't needed as a song because they have the placement in the show where they're going to experiment that way. So I wonder if fish would have just like incorporated kind of freeform jamming. I do think that the most prescient point here is regular commenter of today's episode, the incredible perp. There would be no reprise. <laughs> oh, I mean, that point. is a real loss right there. Cause that, that moment, point. that moment is, we could do a whole episode and reprise because that moment best. is like the best, the best. And it's a great, great point. And thank, thank God we don't have to live in a, in a world where there is no reprise. The I greatest mean, three minutes in rock. Yeah, it is. My, the greatest my, one of my wife's show. and my, one of my wife's and my first arguments was I, I, she said she doesn't like tweezer. And I was like, I don't know what, what, what are you talking about? And she goes, I love reprise. I just, yeah. as long as I, as when there's a tweezer, I know that there's going to be a reprise and that's what I want. And I was like, okay, that's fair. That's fair enough. Um, (laughs) You saved yourself. Okay. (laughs) You saved yourself there. We're okay now. I think that there is, um, and we talked about this a bit. I can't remember if we talked about this here or in in the premium. So, so forgive me if I'm giving away uh, paywalled information here, but RJ said something at some point today about tweezer following the band throughout their history. And I almost wonder like a lot of these big jam vehicles of the mid nineties, Mike song, uh, David Bowie, Antelope have not necessarily followed with as much consistency from a jamming standpoint. Whereas tweezer, when tweezer is played in 2.0 in 3.0 and early 4.0, you know that you're getting this massive jam. And that's something that, uh, is just really special about the song. and is, uh, is really special about the song that debuted, 28 years ago, or excuse me, my God, 38 years ago and two days, 32 years ago and two days. I finally got it right. Third time's a charm. <laughs> we'll just delete that like we deleted uh, yeah. RJ's Montana coming. Montana, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have to do a follow-up on this because I think there's a lot of tweezer that we need to get to. Still. There's a lot of tweezer. Yeah. There's more. There's always more tweezer. Thank you all for listening to us talk about the debut of Tweezer here from March 28, 1990.: Now, do you want to tell the audience what we have coming up next week, which will be a Monday episode? I'm trying to remember what is next week. Is it Colorado shows? Next week is 4-4-1990, Fish's first show in Colorado since. Telluride 1988, a show that I live in the state of Colorado. I'm sitting here in Wheat Ridge looking out at the Rocky Mountains and this beautiful blue sky. And I'm just thinking about how great it is every time I cross back into the state of Colorado. And I've got to imagine for these guys, 18 months after playing in Telluride, there was this like, we're going to get out of Ohio soon enough. 
and we're going to make our <laughs> way to the great state of Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be an amazing, amazing experience because spring in Colorado is something else. So um, we're going to be talking about 4-4-1990, Fisher's first show in Colorado since 1988. And for those of you who have not been hip to it, that'll be our first of two episodes next week. We are starting next week, going to be on Mondays and Wednesdays at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. So we will tell you what we're going to be talking about next Wednesday then. For now, though, who wants to tell us one more time about our wonderful sponsor at Sunset Lake CBD? Oh, I'm happy to. Thank you. Yeah. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm. They're just outside of Burlington, Vermont. And for years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm. They made milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. And in 2019, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And they're amazing because they really embrace Vermont's tradition for land stewardship. They use sustainable, regenerative farming techniques. They build and protect healthy soils. They're 100% pesticide-free. They use minimal tillage, and they implement cover crops and crop rotations. They also serve as a research farm for the University of Vermont agronomists to study hemp and inform best industry practices. And if you haven't tried their products, you really have to. I have become a huge fan of their gummies. Just take one at night to relax. I really like their tinctures too. I also think, like Brian was talking about earlier, the flower is just really nice. It's a nice way to relax without having kind of like that THC high. And I really enjoy them. So please check them out. They also have a great coupon code, HFPOD, and you get 20% off our products. So it's Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont grown. Such a great company. So thankful to be associated with Sunset Lake. I will tell you all one last time here before we go. We announced this at the start of the episode. If you missed it, Undermine Season 3 is coming back. Undermine April 27th, covering the Baker's Dozen. Really, really excited about this. We've gotten a, we've done a ton of awesome interviews. Um, everyone out there who sat for interviews, thank you so much. Really great thoughts. Really great just like insights into how this all happened, what it all meant, what it felt like to be there, what it's like to look back on the Baker's Dozen. We've got a bunch of really cool uh, insight and, 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 um, and uh, just a great story about the Baker's Dozen coming for you the Wednesday after Fish's run at MSG. So very excited about that. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And with that, RJ, Megan, always a pleasure to talk with you guys on a Wednesday afternoon, soon to be a Monday and Wednesday afternoon. I hope you both have a wonderful evening. I hope everyone out there has a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for the comments here today and the thoughts. Awesome to talk about Tweezer. We will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.
Osiris. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast. And we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. <laughs>